Hey everyone, welcome to the Conscious 8 Podcast, where Philip and Mark, being me, talk about stuff we find interesting. What's up, dude? What's going on? Not much, bro. Back again. It's like we're making a habit of this. Kind of like we're trying to, hey? <laughs> Turn the laptop away. That has always been the key. We got Haley with us today. Back. Greetings. Back again. <laughs> Greetings. <laughs> Back again. Back again. Episode 3. Episode three. Thank you guys for fucking two hundred, over two hundred uh, downloads in awesome. the first two episodes. It's been awesome. Yeah, kind of legit exceeded our expectations. We yeah, were thinking like kind of fun to sit down and chat about the stuff we talk about at work, and now it's like yeah, pushing two hundred plus. Yeah, and like we were able to hit up like I don't want to exaggerate, but like definitely over like twenty different countries mm-hmm. all over the world. There's people like in Africa. Yeah, that's and, cool. Uh, Asia, Asia, India, yeah, and Cambodia, like yeah. Europe, North America. We hit up South America a couple of days ago, yeah. and East Coast of the United States or yeah, U.S. Is yeah, point. exactly. But shout yeah. out to Frankfurt too. Frankfurt has been a big support. Yeah. Fan base. <laughs> Frankfurt. <laughs> Frankfurt has been bomping for us, yeah, man. Carrying this show. They really are, yeah. The German fans coming the up German strong. Fans are huge, bro. Shout out to German fans, man. <laughs> Um, if you guys, um, just to mention it again, if you guys like have any ideas of what we should talk about next or who we should have on as a guest, or you think that you should be a guest, contact us on our Instagram at conscious a podcast. Conscious a podcast. There's All some dots in there the after dot every word. Yeah. Dot dot podcast. But, um, yeah, just hit us up. Sweet. Yeah. So tonight's topic fans is meditation right meditation idea of meditation and philosophy in it mm-hmm. different outlooks on it different yeah tons of different ideas applications and then like yeah, yeah just like see where it takes us from there it always kind of ties into like the first episode was consciousness right yeah it's almost kind of the whole point like meditation is like especially the main style is like vipassana it's called Okay. And I think that roughly translates What's to... What's it called? Vipassana. It's like V-I-P-A-S-S. Vipassana. Vipassana? Yeah, Vipassana. There's Vipassana and then Metta, which is like M-E-T-T-A. Okay. And Vipassana roughly translate, as far as I understand, which is like my catchphrase for this, is um, insight. Vipassana meditation is like insight. Okay. So you're trying to gain insight. And I think that's the majority of what... When people say meditation, quote-unquote... Mm-hmm. Or they are meditators, or they try to learn meditation. I think that's what they're most likely learning. It's like Vipassana. trying to gain insight. Gain insight, yeah. Insight so, like, where does that? What's it called again? Vipassana. Vipassana. Where does that come from? Like, I think it's Sanskrit. Like, uh, no, I was, no yeah, joke. I was yeah. gonna ask what language that is. I think that makes sense. Vipassana and Metta are both Sanskrit. Yeah. Which I, uh, I'm pretty sure that. I don't care. I'm just gonna ask again. What's Sanskrit? Sanskrit is, I believe it's like ancient, it's the ancient Indian tongue. Okay. Like I think yeah. what we call... Should we fact check this? Maybe. That might be super helpful because this is like bro linguistics, right? Yeah, exactly. Now. It's yeah. mad bro Let's still stay on that, but yeah. we'll try and stray away every once in a while <laughs> yeah. from it. Yeah. Actually not just yeah. bro out. One out of ten facts everything. is correct, yeah, at least. Like, a, yeah. Yeah, it's a... ten percent. Sanskrit is a classical language of South Asia. What's up? Okay. What's up, bro? It's, um, What's belongs up? to the Indo-Aryan branch of the Indo-European languages. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. I've in, actually heard... Oh, sorry. sorry, in the late Bronze Age. Oh, cool, nice. Yeah. That's a shitload of time ago. Yeah, man. It's like... 5,000 BC, maybe? Bronze Age? Something like that. 5,000 BC? Give or take a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Imagine, like, I need to go back in time. Where do you need to go? The Bronze Age. All right. We might land you a thousand years <laughs> yeah. from where you need to be. It's like, oh, shit, really? I guess Man. I won't take my chances, though. Fucking time travel, hey? Give or take. That's like an episode on its own. Oh, man. Time travel is We need somebody rich. that actually knows stuff about it. Yeah. Because, like, what the garble, the shit that we would say about it would just not do it justice. Well, all of our, all of our chat would be movies. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, like, imagine having, like, a physicist on, talking about, like, actual, like, time-like curves or what time-like loops or whatever, and we're like, yeah, yeah bro, but have you seen Donnie, Donnie Darko's son? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that, man? <laughs> Doc Bro, Brown? the Avengers? Yeah. When they go back? Yeah, quantum stuff. That's what I'm talking about. Not yeah. this physics shit you're talking about. <laughs> you're like, hey, Doc, have you heard of when uh, Tony Stark invented time travel? <laughs> He's like, you know that's a movie, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I think Dr. Banner also created a bit. Dr. Doctor Banner, Doctor. yes. Him and Dr. Phil. They were uh, really close together. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil, too, yeah. Um, but what were we talking about? Sanskrit? Sanskrit. Yes. Yeah, and where it comes from. Yeah. Sanskrit. And the meta. 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 Yeah. So I those are like the two, like, I shouldn't say basic ones, but like entry level, uh, methodologies of. Yeah. I think they're like considered probably the two most practiced. I think that would okay. probably be a better way to putting it. Is Why? Like, um, Why are they the two most practiced ones? I think this is just... it tied to any religion. Uh, yeah, kinda. I guess you could say you don't have to like, um. The kind of meditation I do is very much Vipassana, so like insight meditation. Yeah. And um, it's done through Sam Harris's uh, app called Waking Up. Sam okay. Harris is yeah, 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 you told me about this. Yeah, neuroscientist. Shout out to Sam Harris. Though. Sam yeah. Harris, yeah. I've been listening to his stuff and reading his books. He actually has a podcast called uh, Making Sense. Okay. It used to be called Waking Up. Mm -hmm. And then he made that his app. Which is like That's guided cool. meditation. It's yeah. a whole app. What else can you do on there? Oh, he's got like whole lecture series, um, stoicism, Zen. Wow. His style is vipassana, but based on uh, I guess technically a style of Buddhism. To go to your question, Phil. Yeah. A style of Buddhism called Dzogchen mm -hmm. Buddhism. But I heard of that. Yeah, yeah, and um, so I've been doing that about four years, meditating wow. almost nightly, definitely yeah. since COVID. So I started in about 2018, just. Like I was saying, I've always read Sam Harris's stuff, listen to, you know, his lectures and stuff. Cause he was, he's a neuro scientist. That's not a word. Yeah. yeah that's a word. Yeah. Neuroscientist, yeah, neuroscientist by trade. But he wrote in 2001 after nine 11, he became famous for writing a book called the end of faith about cool. Um, end of faith, the end of faith. Yeah. And it was a really controversial book, like 2001. It literally, I think came Whoa. out like December again, could be wrong. But it came out like December of 2001. Like he was writing it about, because um, him and three other people, Richard Dawkins, which we talked about in the first yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Him, so Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Dan Dennett, who's also that analytical philosopher. And to remind them, about. Richard Dawkins had the... He was like the was God like, delusion. Yeah. He's a biologist, evolution biologist. Exactly. Yeah. And he like came up with that, um, where we when we talked about consciousness, that basically everything is conscious. No, no, you're thinking of uh, panpsychism. Panpsychism, yeah. And yes. that's like 
in philosophy of mind, the study of like consciousness, that's like 500 years old, that thought. Okay. That idea, yeah, of, mm-hmm. of, of panpsychism. But um, so Sam Harris was part of what they called the New Atheists. And it was like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, um, Christopher Hitchens, uh, and then Dan Dennett. Okay. And so he became famous through writing almost like not through neuroscience. Mm-hmm. He was kind of like militant atheism, I guess, is what hmm. the new atheism has been called. Militant atheism? Mil- yeah, they called like... Why milit... Like military? Like so strict? Yeah, like they would... They kind of... Richard Dawkins especially, like he wrote the book The God Delusion. <laughs> so okay. it was like they... <laughs> They kind of like the old saying, like the sacred cows, they definitely like attacked the sacred cows of religion and they didn't pull any punches. They, um, for 10 years, especially Christopher Hitchens, he would debate religious people and they would have debates. Like it wasn't even, you know, like the whole idea of, oh, you know, we sit and we talk about, you know, belief and we talk about this. It was like the, the, these new atheists, the four, they called it jokingly called it the four horsemen of the new atheism. Of course they called them the horsemen. Yeah. Yeah, And it was like, we're, we're not here to glad hand religion. We're here to show it from what they, what they believed at the time and what they were trying to promote was like, you know, reason, critical thinking and stuff like that. Right. So they just, they didn't shy away from getting into like, basically like fights with religion Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. So, but this is where Sam Harris came from, the guy who has this app. He started the podcast called Waking Up after he's written probably like 15 or 20 books over the last 20 years. Okay. And then... They were all about like meditation and like... Nope, just Sam Harris. That's what I mean. Sam Harris written 20 books? Yeah. Yeah. About what? uh, That's what I'm asking. Like about what? Just... Like they were all about meditation? Nope. His his last one was about meditation uh, probably like 2015, 2016. So they were fiction? Non-fiction, and they were like, like the end of faith was basically just about how shitty religion is. Like a memoir? Yeah. Uh, no, just non-fiction. <laughs> like, it's called narrative non-fiction, and he just would talk about like, you know, wars of religion, facts and figures, and like yeah. kind of the horror stories of, of kind of organized religion. Yeah. And then he wrote another one called um, The Moral Landscape, which is a big one. Mm-hmm. And it was like his, putting forward his theory on why, on how we can use science to to figure out morals and not have religion to figure out morals that's interesting okay yeah, how so do we was... use science to figure out morals yeah, you, well, you have them? to read his book <laughs> did you read it <laughs> yeah, i did and it was so answer my is question. it a hard read? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's tough but i'll it's try here we go that's why we're doing this yeah <clears throat> so he would say in the moral landscape because the the age-old thing is like oh you you have to have a higher power to dictate morals because it has to be like beyond human you have to have something that will dictate morals downwards right and so okay. in a lot of the kind of history of philosophy there's this idea of like humanism mm-hmm. like you don't you don't need like an omnipotent omniscient being to tell you how to live your life tell you what morals and like what goodness is and stuff like that that's what i was just going to say like how mm. would it know then if in whatever case it, it is real, how would it know what human morals are? Yeah. If it's not a human. Well, it's by, as far as I know from the religious standards, is because whatever that thing is, it created us. So. Oh yeah, I yeah. <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> so by it creating us, it sorry, can yeah. Tell us, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that little fact that we were created. I'm sorry, dude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> 
So anyways, in the moral landscape, he's just putting forward that argument and he talks about like, um, the one thought experiment he does is like literally the moral landscape is like there's highs and there's low of human experience. Yeah. And we, we probably could all across all cultures, we probably could all say when someone is suffering, Mm -hmm. we could say objectively, and that's where his whole pitch is. And like he said, he was a neuroscientist, right? Yeah. His pitch was, is like, you can objectively measure when someone's suffering. Yes. If they're having a shitty experience or they're in pain. So he's saying we, we can use that scientific method and we can use the ideas of science to say, like, let's create us. Let's create a world, I guess, for lack of a better term, where there isn't as much human suffering. And so it's like the highs and lows is like he he invokes like the landscape. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, and he gets into like actual neuroscience about like because his Ph.D. in neuroscience was scanning like MRIs like mm-hmm. put, put people in MRIs and then they were trying to show like when someone was praying or meditating what centers of the brain get activated no way so it's the whole the whole study of like when you know when someone prays so what did activate uh, well the, the amygdala bro <laughs> I don't I don't know exactly what but um you can... why don't you know everything bro <laughs> exactly yeah our fans could google I guess they would google like um MRI research on religion or relig- religiosity. Okay, but what do you, like, like what is, what did you gather from it? Like, what did, ha- there was some kind of a, like a firing happening in the brain oh, yeah. during the meditation? 100%. Oh, yeah, meditation is huge. Like, um, like something like that's wouldn't usually be there? Yeah, like your normal, let's call it your waking brain. Just yeah. like eating breakfast, going your to work, driving. Yeah, yeah, you're just base state. And then when you, but the same thing with people when they pray. So you don't need to invoke any like. Metaf- Why is that? Because you're just, you're accessing like, um, as far as I know, you're accessing like higher cognitive functions and you're yeah. like thinking in like. Um, A more spiritual level. Yeah. You're thinking of like transcendent ideas and you're thinking of. Transcended like, reality. Yeah. 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 You're, and you're invoking like Jordan Peterson would say the highest transcendent goal. You're thinking of like things in your normal waking life. Like you're not like, um, you know, think of how do I be a better person? Mm-hmm. Like what, you know, for a religious person would be like, what does the creator want me to do to be a better person? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you yeah, read these rules. So I yeah. know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was interesting, the whole, the prayer and the meditation thing. But from what I've read about the MRI studies of meditation, someone who's like a, an experienced meditator, like 10 years or even like five years plus, but definitely like 10 years plus. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the like 20 years plus people. When they meditate in an MRI, like the motherfucker lights up like a Christmas oh tree. God. No yeah, way. Dude. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like there's a whole, you know, like, oh, we only use like 10% of our brain, bro. Yeah. That's not true. That's not true? No. You use your... Well, I would have said that to someone. Because if you're only asked. using, and Haley, you can probably talk about this for evolution. If you only ever use 10% of your brain, your brain wouldn't like function because you would have yeah yeah like it it has to be all being used in some sort of a way otherwise yeah. it would just be degenerating yeah you're right yeah it would be like become like, like a vestigial neurons... organ or something wouldn't it? yeah uh yeah but so that that's the reason why our brains grew so much they because actually... of like mushrooms and stuff well because like isn't that like a theory. thing yeah yeah that's the stone age theory. that's our picture shout out to jimmy figs Shout out to Jimmy Figs. Our yeah. graphic is his representation of the stoned ape theory. Thank you, Jimmy Figs. It, that's, that <laughs> picture is so fucking cool. Yeah. Man. But I've heard the myth of the 10% of your human brain 
comes from um, Neil deGrasse Tyson on his science podcast. Kind of don't like that guy. Yeah, yeah, he interrupts a lot. I know, man. That podcast with Joe Rogan. Lot. Yeah. Joe Rogan was yeah. just blacking <laughs> out, man. Shout out to fucking Joe Rogan. <laughs> but anyways, he was saying on, on his science podcast that the myth comes from the guy said, so they misinterpreted you to you only use 10% of your brain. I, I'm probably going to destroy this, but he says, um, we only know 10% of what the brain does or something like that. Oh. It's not you only, it's not you only use 10%. It's something like we've only just begun to understand 10% a percentage of, of what the brain does. So yeah. it is always working. Yeah, but we just, absolutely. We yeah. haven't mapped the brain because this was in like the 20s or something. So he's like, we really haven't mapped the brain yet. Like, because MRI is really kind of like the universe. Bro. MRI like, we is only know like how much exists because of how much we can see. Exactly. Yeah. We can like, see there's the... so much we can't see that we don't even know it exists. Mm-hmm. That shit's true. But we have man. that all over our bodies, not just in our brains. So, yeah, there's no but way. The brain's that... definitely the most complex one. Yeah. Like it's oh, yeah, literally like sure. a computer yeah. in your head. The least primitive, yeah. Running your whole body. Like yeah. mm-hmm. well, yeah, when you think is about the it, only it's the organ that's ever named itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's cool. It's <laughs> <laughs> why did I f- why do I feel like I heard somebody say this before? Shout out to episode two. <laughs> episode one. <laughs> episode one. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Lex sorry. Friedman. Lex Friedman's Instagram. Yeah, yeah, he threw yeah. that out there. Yeah. That's the only organ that's ever named itself, yeah. But that that's also weird, goes into yeah. the hard the Again, in the first episode, we talked about the hard problem of consciousness. Yeah. That's the same thing because it's like, does the brain is like, um, is consciousness emergent? So if you can create a human brain, Mm -hmm. let's just say in a lab, they create a perfect human brain and they turn it on, they hit it with lightning or whatever, and it turns on. (laughs) Hit it with lightning. Fucking Frankenstein. Bang. (laughs) Hit it with lightning. Hit it again. Um, Okay. If you could turn that brain on, would it be conscious or would it just be a brain that fires neurons and and again we didn't get into but in the first episode it's reminding me now one of the things of the hard problem of consciousness is because we can say what it's like to be us yeah um where along the line the evolutionary line when did because we're all carbon we're carbon we're fats we're muscles we're sinew yeah we're neurons when did that bag of chemicals and bag of minerals become conscious? Mm-hmm. Like when along the line yeah. did that just, when did consciousness emerge? What if it was conscious the whole time? Yeah, that's, that's panpsychism. What if it like consciously mm-hmm. made itself? That's panpsychism. And it just took it yeah. so long, just revolution. Yeah. And then it was like conscious and like, yes, I'm a blob. Yeah. But one day... It t- I'm going yeah. to be a real boy, you know? <laughs> Pinoch. <laughs> Throwing out the Pinoch. <laughs> uh, but for real, though. Yeah. Like, maybe yeah, it so was true. conscious from was the beginning, thinking, you know? Like, you don't even need um, any sort of language, whether it's, like, primitive communication or not. You don't even need that to be conscious because... Yeah, exactly. That video that you posted on the, on the Instagram of that uh, ape... Oh, yeah, yeah one monkey, uh, and its eyes exactly yeah, yeah. like just looking into them like yeah. it didn't even do anything or say anything yeah exactly it's almost like you can like see the consciousness yeah. in those eyes like but that again but that's just kind it, of it like always goes back to the problem of it is yeah. because we don't know no. if it is conscious or not we have no way for it that's to tell true. us what it's like to be it yeah but it really looks like it's thinking well that oh, but so shout out to a fan of ours who said artificial intelligence 
That, yeah. that is a litmus test for consciousness. If we can create an artificial intelligent thing, computer, whatever, mm-hmm. and it tur- we turn it on, same thing, like Skynet or like HAL 9000 from Yeah, I robot, yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, hi, Philip. My name's whatever, Computer 9000. <laughs> I feel I uh, like I want yeah. more downloadable whatever. And Nimbus you're like, 2000? Yeah. Hey, Computer <laughs> 9000, are you conscious? And if it goes, yes, I'm conscious, we have no way to know if it actually is conscious or not. But what if you were like, so Computer 9000? <laughs> I like how we... Yeah, that, that, that is its name. Yeah. That is its name. That is its name. If you were like, tell me what it's like to be conscious Mm -hmm. and it tells you and it's like, I am aware that I'm created by humans and that I am not real, Mm -hmm. but it is real. Yeah. All we have is the input output. That's the, that's the hard problem of consciousness. Exactly. And that one time that you were showing me, there's like a auto generating website by oh, yeah. uh, artificially this person isn't real.com this person isn't real.com wow, and yeah, it's, it's artificially trip, created man. faces of humans yeah. oh and you have to go on there and select if it's so there's a picture on the left and a picture on the right and one of those pictures isn't a real human it's an ai created human <laughs> and it is frustrating how many times i was wrong yeah i was like wrong 80 percent of the time mm-hmm. It is the trippiest thing I've seen. When he showed it to me the first time, Ew. I could That's not wild. believe it's it. It's scary. Is it like, so one of them is like, there's two Two big images. photos, yeah. Do they look similar? No, they they don't look the same at all. It's two completely different person. And it says, pick the real person. Hmm. Yeah, and, and it's like the one picture. It's the first, again, Lex Friedman got me on that one. It's the first, like the uncanny, it's the term that is getting out of the uncanny valley. So yeah. when you watch a CGI or when you watch like a robot or whatever, mm-hmm. even if they try to make it look really human, you can still tell something's off. Yeah. So they say that's that computer or that, that image or that robot is still in the uncanny valley. So humans are really good at detecting non-human features. Exactly. Yeah. But this... There's a thing in our brain for it. But that's interesting. And I know we're veering off completely here. (laughs) But, like, it's really interesting. But, like, why did that develop? What was there in our evolution that made us have to be aware of Mm non-human features? Well, survival survival and hunting. But of why would any... Oh, I guess, like, animals that are non-human? Yeah. yeah. Pattern recognition while you're hunting in the savannas, though, right? Also for the purposes of reproduction, right? Like, why would you try and breed with... Something that's not even your species. Interesting, yeah. Oh. That's also like when babies are born. Again, I have no, this might be total bro science. Yeah. That the the facial recognition of your child and being like, that's my kid, not someone else's kid. Right. Okay. So there's a thing of like bonding with first sight of your child. Like Hmm. the child's born, you look at the child and you're like, that's my kid. I'm going to bond with this thing now. Yeah. Right? So it's... uh, yeah, to me, it totally makes sense that you would have immaculate human recognition. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely yeah. necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never looked at it that way. Yeah. Breakthrough. That makes sense, actually. Science <laughs> Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Bro, ding, science ding, rules. Ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I don't... Yeah, Bill, I don't know. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, again, that, like, the fans can look it up. I have no idea if that's true with the seeing your baby and making sure it's yours it sounds like it is but if it's if you did lie you lied really good about about that i wonder (laughs) 
if they did an experiment, if you were looking at your baby through, um, sunglasses. Like a, no. <laughs> yeah. Just like I can't tell. <laughs> These polarized Oakleys. Yeah, no, trippy, man. Through like a glass. Shout out to Oakley. Go ahead. <laughs> like a glass room, if you were on the other side. Oh. Wow. Um, versus if you were holding it. Not holding it, but, but like it through, very close would, yeah. to it because of like pheromones and things like that. Oh, interesting. Wow. Like a, it might be a subconscious thing where you can like smell um, it, detect it by smell or yeah, something mm. like that. That makes sense. That totally makes sense because like yeah. the the first movement after the kid is born is right to the mother's chest, right? Mm-hmm. So like hearing the heartbeat and the because it's and stuff birth like, like is very very animalistic. It's actually really cool. Yeah, the way that that is. So it's also terrifying. Yeah. Having seen two kids being born. Shout yeah. out to my wife. Shout out to my wife. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's terrifying. It's wild. Yeah, primal is the best way to describe it. Super yeah, cool. it is. Hmm. Yeah. Um, How did back we get to, here? Uh, meditation. Oh, yeah, we were yeah, talking about Sanskrit. meditation. And then Sanskrit, we, we were talking about uh, the 20 books. Yes. Um, the Moral Sam Landscape. Sam Harris, Moral Landscape. Yeah, and then he wrote one... Um, he's written like debates. He's published debates he's had. So it's like the transcript of debates. Yeah. So highly recommend anyone reading that. He wrote one really influential called letter to a Christian nation. So this was like the height of, um, kind of invasion of Iraq, George W. Bush. He wrote that in like 2005, maybe 2006, 2007, around there. Um, and then, but in 2015, the one that got me interested in pursuing meditation is because, I'd heard Sam Harris, um, so his backstory is he when he, before he wrote The End of Faith, like mid-90s, or maybe even early 90s, Yeah, he was in Stanford studying philosophy. Mm-hmm. He quit in his like second or third year university, and he went and lived in Asia, like Nepal and India, northern India, for 10 years. Okay. And he learned That's how to meditate. Time. Like he went and studied under Dzogchen oh. masters, and he studied under all, all other, um, like, mindfulness practitioners i guess yeah a better term and then so he came back with all this insight he had gained he wrote all these other books and got his phd in neuroscience and everything but then in 2015 so i'd heard that and i heard him in his books this is kind of like pre-podcasting yeah so you could only ever find stuff by reading their books right mm-hmm. um, that sucks <laughs> it's <was> really onerous <laughs> yeah oh, i gotta read this whole book bro why not just start a podcast that yeah. doesn't exist but um 2015 he wrote uh waking up and the 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 full title is waking up spirituality without religion okay because he's not a religious guy and his whole 15 year career up to that point had been kind of dispelling the myths of religion why we don't need religion why you can take on morals and values in a humanistic frame frame of reference in essence and the book is really cool so he he named his podcast this waking up but now Mm -hmm. it's called making sense because his meditation app is called waking up but making the, sense kind of it's a that's a really cool name yeah making sense and he has like that's a really cool it, it's podcast so name. good and uh um he has like you know world leaders on he has scientists he has philosophers wow. it's a great podcast yeah 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 so so making sense sam harris but um the book waking up spirituality without religion is cool because it's like his most personal book about med- his discovering meditation and like he's done like silent retreats and stuff like that so when he's that, <clears throat> when he started the app, I got onto the app about 2018. Mm-hmm. So I've been meditating 
under the tutelage of Sam Harris for like a Yeah, manager. through the app. That's so through cool that you can fucking years, do that, yeah. eh? And he's sitting there, like, I, I do it at night, about 10 minutes before I go to bed. Yeah. You can do 10 or 20-minute sessions. Mm-hmm. And it's literally like you're sitting there with your headphones in, and he's guiding you through meditation. Like wow. a, an author, a best-selling author, yeah. who has all this experience in a PhD in neuroscience. And he's right like, in your what? ear, man. It's like, what a time to be alive. That, exactly, yeah. like... Yeah. The accessibility of it is mm-hmm. just insane. Yeah, mm-hmm. the fact it's that really you cool. don't have to go read a book, you don't have to do <laughs> anything. You just download it on the extension yeah, yeah. of ourselves, the fucking phone. Yep. And then you just like meditate with like mm-hmm. an extremely smart person. Yeah, it's probably he, well um, everything that you can do. Get like music lessons online, fucking mm-hmm. language lessons. Like you, we have access access to experts, mm-hmm. like at the tip of our fingers, whenever we want. And it's fucking crazy. Yeah, and it's pretty. It's pretty. Um, it's pretty cheap too. Like <clears throat> this app is only like ten bucks a month. Yeah, maybe twelve, maybe thirteen now with inflation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with inflation. <laughs> shout out to inflation. Shout out no, to I don't want to shout out to inflation. No, inflation fucking sucks. inflation, bro. It's like five percent right now. But yeah, um, best. yeah, so I from about twenty eighteen to about twenty twenty, I would try to do maybe like, you know seven to ten sessions a month i wasn't too super serious about it yeah but then when the vid hit for the last two years i've been I vid is covid for the the COVID. all I, the cool guys me. yeah now we're not gonna get this on spotify <laughs> yeah um they're gonna they're gonna put up a warning um tw- since 2020 nightly like I've, i'm approaching almost 700 sessions damn yeah, it's like almost eight thousand minutes how of many sessions does he have on there it's just every night and he does that one every day he has oh, he like puts day. out new yep. ones. Yeah, ten or twenty minutes you can choose. Wow. Every day he does it, and then he man. guides you. So through. you listen a daily episode that he released that day. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's I didn't cool. realize that. I thought Every it was day. like a pre-recorded yeah. database. There's, so there's like, some, like I'll of course, yeah. Some, but um, almost every day. So if if it is a repeat, it's like you haven't heard it in like two weeks, mm-hmm. and then he kicks you back into like the repeat. But you're like. The repeats are really cool because... Because you have so much more understanding. Yeah, you have understanding. And the one thing I really liked is he does... I can't remember if it was a 20-session introductory course, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if it's 50 sessions. Okay. And then once you do your 50 sessions or 25, whatever it is, then he kind of just is like, now you can just do the nightly nightly meditation. Like, now you're ready. Now you're ready to just do it. Yeah, and it's really cool. Like, I highly recommend it. I would say... That has probably been one of the most impactful, like, practices I've decided to take on. Obviously, like, you know, working out and just trying to not be an asshole in general. But by meditating, being physically active, being mindful, Mm -hmm. that's what's going to stop you from being an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) It just comes natural, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the whole point. And literally, and that goes back to, like, what we started the episode, is you're trying through this practice is really what it is. Because it's hard sometimes. Like sometimes mm-hmm. you have great sessions. Sometimes you're just like, oh, I'm just thinking with my eyes closed. And yeah. Sam talks about that in the in Sometimes the you like can't focus on it. Yeah, you're just, your mind's running wild and you're yeah. just like, oh, I just spent 10 minutes sitting there thinking with my eyes yeah. closed. Yeah. And the interesting, in the <laughs> inter- um, sorry, interesting myth that we talked about, you and me before actually, mm-hmm. is that how people think that meditation is about completely emptying your yep. mind mm-hmm. and like not feeling anything you're yeah. just like Becoming an emptiness in your head yeah where that's like not even true yeah 
Yeah. That's not the idea of it. Mm-hmm. The idea of it is like recognizing uh, like feelings that are happening. Yeah, you're caught in the wave. Yeah, exactly. And you you said that really good analogy with like how you don't have a choice to mm-hmm. hear stuff. Mm-hmm. You don't have a choice to smell something. Yeah. It's the same way you don't have a choice to feel stuff. Yeah, yeah. It just yeah. happens. Yeah. You're not like, okay, I'm going to feel this now exactly it doesn't happen like that yeah it just comes on and you're experiencing that same way you would experience music or something exactly man and then like looking at it that way like Mm -hmm. yeah like since you said that like it really changed my perspective on stuff yeah that's that's in the introductory and that was what was like wow this is for me in my experience it was so powerful because it's like so what he would say is and I think it stems from, so Sam Harris does Dzogchen, mm-hmm. like Dzogchen Buddhism, but it, it's funny because Buddhism, that's a whole episode, is Buddhism kind of isn't a religion. Yeah. It's thought of as a religion, but it's more like a philosophy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so Sam would say, um, and in the practice, it's like, you you don't, you don't choose to hear something. Mm-hmm. You can hear and you can close your ears. But you can, you'll still hear. You can't turn off your hearing. Yeah, exactly. You can't turn off your sight. You can close your eyes, but you're still going to see, like, in, in the nightly sessions. He'll say, like, okay, close your eyes, but still see the light. Like, mm-hmm. you can still see the light, and you yeah, can still exactly. see, like, your neurons firing, or uh, the cones firing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can't choose to stop your heart. Yeah. You can't choose to stop breathing. The breath is always with you. And breath work is really important in, in meditation because mm-hmm. it's always there, obviously. So do you try you to like out. be super conscious of it? Conscious breathing? Yeah. Well, the breathing is in the first couple introductory sessions. He, he talks a lot about breathing because that is the one thing that's always going to yeah. be there. Mm-hmm. So you can actually like um, for, for beginners, when you're losing yourself in thought. So the whole point really is to know when you're thinking. Yeah. When you know a thought is forming and then it's like not being angry that a thought is there and just letting it dissolve. And then mm-hmm. in, in the app, he says like, where does it go? Where does the thought go? And then you just get, you can go back as a beginner. You can go back to counting breath. So you can go like one in, one out, one in, one out. Mm-hmm. Then you get to the point where you're like, the breath is just there with you. Cause you're breathing. Right? Your brain like yeah. teaches itself how to, how it has to breathe to get yeah. to a certain point. But it's, it's, it's kind of, and it's also just kind of just there. But what I was going to say about to finish that thought of, cause it's really important in this like Vipassana style of meditating is because it ties into what you said about your thoughts. Yeah. So like you can't, you know, you can't choose to stop hearing. You can't choose to stop seeing, Mm -hmm. but also you would never associate yourself with your hearing and your sight, right? Like you're not like, Oh, I'm hearing and I am my hearing. No, you just hear, you just see. So then as he walks you down this path of, well, you're, you don't, you're not the direct quote from Sam Harris. He says, you're not the author of your thoughts. They just appear. They just exactly. Form. So you, you, sorry, you're not your thoughts, right? Go ahead. Yeah. And, but that's the thing is like, so he says, you're not your thoughts. Well, so why would you think you are your thoughts? And like when people get angry or, or, um, when they get frustrated, they literally are, are caught in the wave of their own emotions and thoughts. Yeah. And they, they think they are one with their thoughts. They think mm-hmm. they are their thoughts. So it's like in that first little introductory session when you start meditating, really the whole point is to realize your thoughts just form. 
That's they just, actually they like just come. So incredibly reassuring. Exactly. Yeah. That's really he did nice. this test on me when we talked about this the first time. Yeah, I've heard you. Um, you tried telling yeah, the me movies? this. Yeah, so like, all this stuff. name a first movie that comes into your head fast, fast, Free fast, Willy. fast, fast. Why? Yeah. Yes. Can't tell you. Exactly. Yeah. And he did that same thing yeah. to me, and I said Mission Impossible, and I was like, why the fuck did I say <laughs> Mission Impossible? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it's like, you, you don't have control of what happens yep. to your brain it's just like free willy but why the fuck free yeah. willy yeah yeah he literally says you're not the author of your thoughts just like you're not the author of your sight or your hearing yeah. Yeah. you just no. hear and you just you just see right and so that but that also then going further down the rabbit hole is where it starts to get like almost frustrating when you get to the point of he does this one session where he goes um look for the one who's looking Yes. And this is when I feel like you get into the heart of what the practice is. Mm -hmm. So once you realize, like, because he'll do, for those first 50 sessions, he'll do a lot of, like, you know, do you hear something in your house? And I actually felt, like, existential vertigo when I realized this. So the session, he was like, listen to something in your house. Okay. And then he started talking about what I just said of, like, who is hearing? Who is hearing? And then I was like, (laughs) well, Mark is hearing. And then he's like but are you your hearing or is it, or is there just hearing? <laughs> right? Yeah. You're not deciding to hear or not. They're, it's just happening just to you. Exactly. But you're not that hearing. You're not your hearing. It's just You're just happening. hearing it because so you have then, no choice. Yeah. And then he, then he brings you down the path to like your thoughts are the same thing. That's fucked. So he, in this introductory, he says, look for the one who's hearing. He does that. And then within this nightly sessions now for the last couple of years, there's this practice where it's like, look for the one who is looking. And that one's really frustrating. Look for the one who is looking because you won't find anything. There's nothing there to find because (laughs) you're not your thoughts. Yeah. So that's the whole thing with like anxiety though. So this day and age anxiety is is really rife. Anxiety literally is, and like, I want to be, delicate here because i know people have anxiety and it's real it's a real you know mental health struggle but anxiety is like extreme thoughts like you're just always thinking always thinking you're caught in the wave so i feel like meditation in this day and age should be like taught in schools it should be like promoted yeah yeah yeah, because it's so powerful and then but the one this one i i still struggle with and so just let me fully develop this thought here because it ties into a lot of other things that I've mm-hmm. found really rich in my life is when he says, look for the one who's looking, you, you literally are like thinking like, okay, who is, who is thinking? <laughs> like, yeah. Who is looking? Who am I looking for? Exactly. Have I already found it? Yeah. But, but you, like, you won't ever find anything. No. Because there's nothing because there's in nothing there. there. And that's, so that ties into the historical practice or historical idea of sunyata and that roughly translates to emptiness Mm -hmm. and that's like it's like a zen it's a zen understanding and you've probably seen um the symbol it's a really really well-known symbol and it's like the brush stroke of like a circle okay and it like starts with the strong ink and then it ends yeah yeah yeah. yeah. that's like the sun the symbol for sunyata which is emptiness for lack of a better term Mm -hmm. but then so he kind of he doesn't say it specifically but he talks about how, like, um, just because you didn't find anything doesn't mm-hmm. mean you didn't find anything. And so Sam Harris' direct quote is, yeah. not finding is still finding. 
So when you look for the one who's looking, you won't find anything. But that's but also you're finding something. You're finding something which is nothing. By not finding, you found something. You found nothing. You found emptiness. And that's like the Zen understanding of Bro. <laughs> that's what Zen is? That's crazy. Zen is, yeah, Zen promotes they're, they're from my from my understanding. Yes. Shout out to the fans because you're gonna hear me say that so much. <laughs> from my understanding, Zen, the the whole point of Zen is to realize there is no ego. You're not your thoughts. Yeah. You're not your biological functions. So what you're doing when you're meditating on that in, in the practice is and they literally call it like Zen, you can say by saying I'm a Zen practitioner, you can say, oh, I'm sitting tonight because it's literally like you're sitting in a yeah. chair or whatever and you're meditating. So it's like part and parcel of sitting is meditating. But, okay. And you're, you're reflecting and you're trying to reach that, that point of like, I am not the author of my thoughts. Therefore, I don't need to be held slave to them. So like when you're angry and, you know, Sam also talks about in your life, meditation, the practice isn't, isn't, um, isolated to that 10 minutes or 20 minutes yeah you you have to the next phase so you, you try to teach start yourself, applying you it. try to gain insight vipassana then you start applying it to your life where it's like you know yeah. for me and my kids yeah I, I like to think and who knows if this is real but i like to think you know i would get mad 10 times now i like to think i get mad seven times yeah yeah, yeah. so it's like i've reduced my angriness 25 mm-hmm. percent yeah nice. that makes me a 25 percent more chill person, more understanding. I'm able to empathize with people. I'd like to think, who knows? I could be yeah. completely just bullshitting myself. But well, at least I'm on that path trying to do it. Right? Exactly. Like there's an intention Just there. that alone. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I was, just to uh, circle back a little bit to the, the Sam Harris idea, the kind of like how I interpret it, that the whole idea of it is that you kind of become like an ob- observer. Mm-hmm. Yep. Of thoughts and yep. of impulses that you're taking in mm-hmm. rather than being them. Totally, yeah. And 100%. just kind of like take back a little bit and just kind of like look back. Yep. and yep. So you can sort of like take a step away from it. Exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. like, you're not trying to ignore it's happening because no. it's happening. Mm-hmm. But you kind of step away and you're like, okay, this is happening. Yep. But I'm not this. But I'm yeah. not this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not this moment. This moment as everything will pass. hmm so therefore there's no point in me being so in it totally yeah 100%. when it's negative emotions yeah yeah where it's just like you're kind of like observing them and trying to look at them from a standpoint without being offended and mm-hmm. reacting yep. to the stuff exactly. that somebody's Reaction. telling you reacting yeah. you're not i'm not reacting to something you tell me mm-hmm. i look at it i think about it and i reply back exactly but i'm not reacting to what you're saying 100% that's 100% and, and even in like working life how many times yeah. have you had coworkers where it's just like everything I'm so pissed off and it's like everything they're they're told by like a superior or by the public or whatever is like yeah. instant triggering. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is like what we were saying about the myth of meditating is like you, you become like a Vulcan, right? Yeah, you become empty. And it's not true. You actually right. feel the emotion intensely. And in but the, you're aware of you're the aware feeling. Of yes. Yeah. The, the like Zog, from what I've read of like Zogchen and just like really experienced meditators in general, the Mm -hmm. metaphor they say is you're always in the ocean. You're always bobbing up and down in the ocean. But when the wave is starting, when it's forming, you know, a wave is forming. Whereas before meditation, you would be 
caught in the waves. You'd be caught in a storm, and you're just like, yes. no, I'm in the ocean still. There's no, there's no, there's waves. no waves. There's yeah. no storm. It is what it is. I'm entitled to being in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's like, oh, there's a bit of a swell forming. Oh, wow, this swell's getting really big. I can see that wave coming. And but I, I can, can also see it going away. You can also know it's going to pass. Yeah. yeah. That's 100%. Yeah, what you just said is is very at the end of the day. That's the whole point of the practice. Yeah. It's really nice. Yeah, it's like Sam Harris jokingly says in some of his sessions, it's almost like gaining a superpower. It really is. Right? Like not being triggered by everything. Yeah. You know? And actually like I was able to like apply it. We were me and Haley were driving home one day from somewhere and I could notice that she was like upset. And she's like, I really feel like you could do more with like helping and stuff like that. And my first reaction was like, what? Mm -hmm. And then I didn't say anything. I took like three seconds. I stepped back and I was like, looked at the facts and I was like, yeah, I fucking could. And I just said that to her and I was like, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. I could totally do that. And I was able to do that because you and me talked about it at work. Mm, cool. Yeah. But without hearing you mention it, I wouldn't have been able to mm-hmm. done that. Yeah, yeah. And it just felt really good because like, it just like improves all the relationships you can have mm-hmm. with people and like things in your life. Yeah. It's kind of dope. Yeah. You don't take don't things personally because it's like we've no, talked. What's to, the point? We've talked as well about like <clears throat> the one session is who is offe- like who is offended. Yeah, exactly. If if there's literally, if it's like sunyata and it's like, because emptiness doesn't mean nothingness. That's exactly. another saying you hear a lot in the practice is because there's still like a biological being named Mark who has feelings and emotions. Yeah. Yes. But when you realize that like there is an emptiness there mm-hmm. and there's a quote too I, I brought to read um, a famous uh, Dzogchen, I think it's Yonge Rinpoche, I think his name. It's okay. like Y-O-N-G-E-Y. The Rinpoches are a, fam- a famous Dzogchen family. Like they have a bunch mm. of monasteries. They they practice and they write a lot of books. Um, they they talk about that like emptiness isn't nothingness. There's still someone there, but again, like what we've been talking about is you don't need to be a slave to your experience, triggerings, yeah. and experience and stuff. And um, so the one thing in the practice, the nightly practice, is who who is offended? Yeah, who is there to be offended? Right, because if it's like you, you can just not be the slave to the emotions and the triggering elements and stuff like that. Yeah, I like literally choose to be like, yes, I'm aware these emotions are here, mm-hmm. but that's not me. Yeah, I'm not the. I'm, they're not. Yeah, I didn't come yeah. up with these thoughts. Mm-hmm. They were just kind of thrown on there. Me. Yeah. So then you, yeah, take a step back and. Yeah. Especially like anger. Anger can be something like you can be mad. It's so strong at someone else for something that happened. Yeah. And it's like you're just carrying that emotion with you as like. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, as a biological impulse, right? You're, yeah. Some You get flooded with dopamines. You get flooded with something, right? Mm-hmm. And again, you don't choose that. Yeah. You don't choose. It's, like, causality. Mm-hmm. Something happened in your day early in the morning that you got angry about, and then you go to work, and your boss is like, hey, that report's late. And you're just like, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah, like, exactly. That's, like, not, that's not being, that's not sunyata. That's not, like, emptiness. Mm-hmm. That's, like, you being, like, a literally, like, you know, the, the base biological, like, oh, I'm so angry right now. Yeah. Your, your, like prefrontal cortex is flooded with all the stuff. Right. So it is, mm-hmm. it literally is like, um, it's like a fun, it's not to sound spiritual, but it's like, there's a, like an ascension there. There's yeah. like the ability to, yeah. to be like, no, I'm not, I'm not a slave to all of this, like base biological functions. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's what like consciousness is really. 
that's why you do you meditation. Mean that mm-hmm. you're not a slave to. Yeah, well, mindfulness. exactly. Yeah. The word yeah, mindfulness, mindfulness is literally to be mindful. It's like because mindfulness now has been co-opted by like being nice. corporate and like yeah. Oh, we're gonna have yeah, it know, has We're gonna have a team meeting about mindfulness. Being mm-hmm. mindful. Yeah, but the term, please everybody sign this form that you've completed. That this. you're mindful yes. now. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that'll be in your performance management. Exactly. You will be mindful now. Yeah. Um, the. Uh, yeah, that, that idea of mindfulness is, is ancient. It's as old as Sunyat, it's as old as this idea of emptiness. Because it's like being mindful is being aware in the situation mm-hmm. and being aware of your feelings, being aware of, yeah, your your thoughts, right? Yeah. That's what being literally mindful. You're exactly. mindful, right? And so that's that's kind of cool. And then what we've talked about, the um, like who is, who is offended? Exactly. Who's there to be offended? And that ties into the looking for the one who's looking mm-hmm. that ties into that and it ties into the the emptiness and it's yeah it's really really powerful stuff yeah once you like start entering that like i remember uh when you mentioned to this to me for the first time mm-hmm. and i was like bro like you just fucking broke my mind I know, it's, yeah it's because wild, like once yeah. you like really start thinking about it I've, i kind of feel the same way about like thinking about the fact that we're on a planet that's like hurtling through fucking mm, yeah. void of space yeah. and like i say it like spaceship earth exactly like <laughs> i say it but i don't really comprehend it yeah totally yeah because it's like yes i know it's a fact mm-hmm. but i can't really understand what it is that's happening you know yeah, what i mean yeah yeah it's like one of those like paradoxes you just can't yeah it's you can't all, come it's through the other side yeah yeah well that's the thing with um the, the first couple of times I grappled with the idea of like not finding is still finding. Yeah. It, it was literally like grappling with it because it is so foreign to way you're thinking. Mm-hmm. And then, but there's a quote I have. Let me pull it up here. I think it is from Rinpoche. And for me, it's one of the best explanations of not finding is still finding. Um, and I'll read it here. So the whole, it's a, it's a long quote. It's by Yangate. Uh, Mingyur Rinpoche and it's quote ego is not an object it's more like a process that follows through on the proclivity for grasping and for holding on to fixed ideas and identities what we call ego is really an ever-changing perception and although it is central to our narrative story it is not a thing it therefore cannot really die and cannot be killed or transcended this tendency for grasping arises when we miss when we misperceive the constant flow of our body and mind and mistake it for a solid unchanging self we do not need to get rid of the ego this unchanging solid and unhealthy sense of self because it never really existed in the first place the key point is that there is no ego to kill and that's i kind of, i feel like that quote whose me, quote is that that's um young a rinpoche okay he wrote a really cool book called um in love with the world it's either in love with the world or being in love with the world mm-hmm but if you were to look up love, uh, uh, loving the world or being in love with the world or something, Yonge Rinpoche, you'll find that book. It's really cool because he comes from that famous, they're a famous like Buddhist family. Yeah. So what he did though is he, one night in Northern India in like 2014 or something, mm-hmm. he left his abbot that he ran, his monastery. Okay. And he's like, I want to see, I guess in the past, Buddhist monks would do these things called like wandering retreats 
where they would live on the street. They basically yeah, were yeah, homeless, yeah. right? I heard about this, yeah. And he was like, I want to do that, but I want to do it fully and commit to my, can my practice, can my Dzogchen Buddhism and Dzogchen meditation, can it survive the real world? Because I'm here in this monastery, I'm locked away, you know, I get to go to New York and they fly me in and I teach seminars. Mm-hmm. So what he did is one night, he just peaced out. He left a note to his like co-abbot or whatever it's called. Yeah. And was like, I'm leaving and I'm not coming back for four years. No one will know where I am. And he left. He snuck out of his own monastery in Northern Damn. India. And he lived on the streets, no joke, for four years. And in this book, it's, a, it's like the first three weeks of his journey. Because he was like, I had to use every single tool in my tool belt over literally 30 years yeah. of being in a family that has studied and taught this type of Buddhism for like hundreds of years. Yeah. And he's like, I almost failed many times. And the book is beautiful. And that's where that quote comes from. And mm-hmm. that's where, when I was reading this book, I, I meditated about three years. Yeah. And I was like, that is one of the best explanations of not finding the ego when you go looking for it. But by not finding, you still found that there's nothing. You still found something. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. That's trippy, man. <laughs> yeah, That's I highly super recommend. super trippy. Yeah. I actually have the exact quote of what Sunyata, the exact definition. Um, I'll pull it up here. Yeah, pull it up. I wanted to, because the definition is really cool, too. Yeah. So Okay, t- guys, we're just going to, sorry, Mark. Uh, we're gonna, sorry, finish that thought. No, no, let's take, let's take the break. Yeah, we're just gonna refill on some drinks. Uh, we'll be literally right back. (laughs) We're back, guys. Saw. Uh, Mark. (laughs) 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 Saw. Saw, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Saw, back on podcast, bro. A dude dude saw. like, what language do they speak? (laughs) A dude saw. Um, Mark, you were talking about a quote. Yeah, well, I think because we, we had mentioned the term sunyata so much, I thought we should actually, like, read the definition of it. Okay. Because um, there's a few other, I guess, translations translated. It's translated differently. Okay. Yeah. Um, which is interesting because there's the term, so I'll read it. So sunyata, S-U-N-Y-A-T-A for legions of fans, um, <laughs> translated most often as emptiness, vacuity, and sometimes voidness, which is interesting for another philosopher I read. Um, so translated most often as emptiness, vacuity, and sometimes voidness is a Buddhist concept which has multiple meanings depending on its doctrinal context. It is either an ontological feature of reality, a meditative state, or a phenomenological analysis of experience. So there's mm. actually a bunch to unpack there. Wow. Maybe for other podcasts or episodes because... The ontological feature of reality, ontology is like, in, in philosophy, it's the study of reality. Mm-hmm. Or what is reality? Like ontology. So it's kind of cool that um, the ontological feature of reality is like, yeah, so for like a Buddhist would say emptiness is a form of like reality in essence. Yeah. I, I've never really deeply studied Buddhism per se. But it's neat that that is, I'm going to have to investigate that and read about that a bit. Ontological feature of reality. That's really cool. A meditative state. So that's the one we've been talking about. Yeah. Is. Ontological feature of reality. Ontological feature of reality. So ontology is reality. Like um, 
how you view reality, what the constituents of reality is. That's yeah. an ontology. So an ont- So if sunyata in like like big Buddhist sects like Theravada it's like Theravada and there's another one Theravada is like Thailand Thailand is like they're Theravada Buddhists yeah and then there's um, obviously different styles of Buddhism for lack of a better term so um, yeah ontological feature reality would be for in like Sunyata would be that is a feature of reality itself how you view reality in your ontology okay. for the crunchy like philosophical term, you would view reality and reality is made up of the sense of, of emptiness in your own like ego, in your own yeah. way of looking at the world. But so we're so we're we're talking about is a meditative state and then <laughs> a phenomenological analysis of experience is interesting because there's a branch of modern philosophy called phenomenology. Okay, and that one's really interesting too because phenomenology is kind of task. That's not the right word. Phenomenology is always paired with uh, existentialism, which Mm -hmm. has been another big interest of mine. But that literally is a whole other episode. Yeah. So let's earmark (laughs) that phenomenology, phenomenology, and existentialism. Okay. Because that's that could be multiple ones. But the the term voidness is interesting because. One of my favorite philosophers is um, a 16th century samurai called Minamoto Musashi. Okay. And he wrote a really famous book. It's kind of more martial arts. It's like the philosophy of martial arts. But it's called The Book of Five Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, Gorin no Sho is the Japanese term. <clears throat> and his most... it's it's So the first... There's f- literally five sections to it. The Book of Five Rings. The first yeah, that four, was, I couldn't have figured that just, one out. Yeah. yeah, mind bender, right? Five, um, <laughs> bro. It's like, hey, <laughs> what's this movie? What, what we're watching Doctor Strange about? It's about Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah. It's in the title. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, Jeez, hey, dude. yeah, this movie Avengers. Are those the Avengers? <laughs> no. The people that are on screen all the time. You're really good at figuring out movies. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, Minamoto Musashi was a 16th, 1600s, so I guess 17th century samurai. And he, I think, became like a ronin after his lord died. Hey, there's a movie of ronin. Yep, yeah, ronin was like a master of the samurai, right? Yeah. And so he became a ronin, and he would just go around Japan, and literally people would challenge him to sword fights. And he'd fucking <laughs> death? M- murk people. Yeah, he would cut their heads off. Like who was who was the actor of ronin in the movie? Was it Keanu Reeves? <laughs> no, the old movie ronin was um um the man i'm totally drawing a blank he always plays gangsters really famous he was in can we do this the uh Haley, pull that up man i'm <laughs> totally drawing a blank you're really famous godfather he was in the godfather <laughs> that was hilarious <laughs> i can't believe i'm free what of all the things i've talked about today and i'm forgetting this one actor's name <laughs> yeah bro that's fucking embarrassing <laughs> <laughs> he's like the most famous it's al pacino and he was in the joe pesci Man, so close. Marlon Brando. Brando. No. Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. Robert what? De Niro He's the was Ronin? in Ronin. Yeah, you're thinking of 47 Ronin. Oh, yeah. But there's a movie in the mid-90s called Ronin. So what's what's 47 Ronin then? 47 it's, Ronins? Yeah, well, there's the famous tale of the 47 Ronin. How did I figure that out? Yeah, man, you put it together, dude, better than I did. I was like, what? Because no, Ronin, the movie Ronin, 
was with Robert De Niro, who yeah. was like a spy or something. Yeah. And it's like a car. Ch- there's like a famous car chase in it, but they're not samurai. They're like oh, they're like it's stateless. Ronin, but it's not about samurai. Yeah, they're like stateless, uh, like spies. They have no state, and they're like mercenaries, kind of. Because like nowadays, a Ronin is someone who is like a, a masterless mercenary. mercenary or something, right? But the forty-seven Ronin is a famous story of the forty-seven samurai who lost their master. Literally becoming master of the samurai, which is mm-hmm. what the Ronin was, and then they, I think they go and they avenge their master's death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's the what famous it was. Story of Forty Seven Ronin. Yeah, it was fucking dope. Yeah, and it was kind of like uh, fantasy. It was like yeah, it yeah, was a bit. Yeah. Uh... But um, <laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, um, the Ronin, the yeah, guy. Did... So Minamoto Musashi yes. became a Ronin, wandered around Japan, and literally gotten like sixty duels and. Like <laughs> killed them, killed people. Okay. So he retired from knife fighting. <laughs> he retired knife from fighting sword, or sword fighting. Well, sword fighting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he fought in a two style with the one katana and then like a shorter blade. Mm-hmm. But um, so he wrote this book after he retired and he went like literally moved up to a mountain, and in also prefacing this kind of what we're talking about is samurai were practitioners of Zen Buddhism and and meditation. Okay. To the point where in this one book um, I read Zen and Japanese Culture by D.T. Suzuki, mm-hmm. I never really realized the connection. And I, and I made the connection <clears throat> through this book, but then I was like, oh, yeah, Minamoto Musashi was known as, like, obviously a, an expert swordsman, but he also was known as a very philosophical warrior. Yeah. And then in this D.T. Suzuki book, Zen and Japanese Culture, there's half the book is about how the samurai class were synonymous with Zen practitioners because the whole thing with Zen and that, oh. that emptiness was like, we we will die at any moment. So we're not going to waste our time yeah. with like, you know, being, you know, emotional wrecks and we're going to, we're going to like en- enjoy the moment for what it is. And that's the yeah. popular, like the, the moment of fighting. Just my, being mindful of their surroundings, being mindful of their yeah. life, being mindful of their, their place in the world. And, like, there's a famous quote, because, oh, uh, like, the the term Zen is kind of abused now, where it's like, yeah. oh, bro, I was totally in a Zen state, Yeah, I was just in the flow. That's yeah, true. Like, to, this kitchen table's not Zen, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's, it's, and there is truth to that in, like, the Zen, the flow state, but um, there's a famous quote by Alan Watts, and he, because he was a Zen practitioner in the 60s, like yeah 60s and i guess early 70s where he says if you're if you're washing the dishes and you're like oh i was in a zen state and i was contemplating the mysteries of the universe he's Mm -hmm. like you weren't in a zen state if you're in a zen state you would just be doing the dishes it's a famous (laughs) quote by him and so being zen is like you're mindful you're in the moment you're not letting the outside influences you know so that was the whole thing where Zen was practiced largely by samurais. Yeah. And this ties into this Minamoto Musashi. No. Um, sorry, go ahead. No, no, what were you going to say? Um, this is actually like the way that I was, uh, I wanted to tie into this. Um, and you just brought it here, so that's fucking awesome. Word. Um, <laughs> word. Word. <laughs> yeah, no, not surprised. <laughs> yeah. um, that feeling of... Um, how you were saying to washing dishes and you're mm-hmm. just washing dishes. Yep. I feel like meditation ties with that, but it also ties with like, for example, like sport activities mm-hmm. that you're like really mm-hmm. into and totally. like 
for example, like playing a big like soccer game for me or something like that for like those 90 minutes, mm-hmm. yeah. there's like nothing else. Yep. You're yeah. only in the moment. Exactly. You're zen, You're zen yeah. in that moment. Yeah. And it's like really hard to achieve that with totally, stuff. Yeah. Well, martial arts, that's why martial arts is always thought of right. like, I've, I've done martial arts combined about 10 years of my life. Yeah. Um, seven years in one shot and then dabbling in a couple other things for other years. But I always called it kinetic meditation because mm-hmm. you're moving, but especially with like competing yeah. exactly, and like martial arts specifically is because it's like there's dire consequences if you lose, yes. your, if you think of something else, mm-hmm. it's like, that's all there is in that moment. Yeah. And that would literally be like in that, f- it's, it's almost like a pressure cooker environment or a forced environment Exactly. in the, the competition. You're literally are achieving full mindfulness of that moment because every moment you're aware, you're there, you're in place, you're exactly. mindful, right? You're grounded in the moment. And yeah. there's like nothing else. Yeah, exactly. Because, and like, I've been like super into like Formula One lately, mm-hmm. like probably because of the show, like Drive to Survive on Netflix. And it's like, even if you don't like Formula, that's a show you should watch because totally. it's fucking crazy. Like the it's industry really well of it. Yeah. yeah. And it's so well made and it's so huge. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's these like 20 drivers in the whole world, mm, 20 drivers yeah. that get to do it. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of yeah, like 20 people out of 20 people, people. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's like insane. And like the speeds that they're hitting, mm-hmm. like high speed, high speed achieved in an F1 car is 380 kilometers an hour. <sighs> That's insane. They're growing. They're going through turns. Like yeah. 90 degree turns, they're hitting at like 220 kilometers an hour. That's incredible. And the G force of it, like, yeah. I don't know the actual fact. Hale, can you pull that up? Can you pull up like a G force and G force of a braking F1 car? Yeah, nice. Yeah. They like put a. I watched this video where they put a regular human into like an F1 car, mm-hmm. and yeah, <laughs> he hilarious. like tried to drive it and like was <laughs> going around human. the turn. And like, like 30 kilometers an hour smack. He was going pretty good, but he smacked the brakes and like his head like flew into the steering wheel, like smacked the steering wheel with Mm -hmm. the helmet. And like, he comes back and he's like, so how did I do on the brakes? Like, how did I do like, and they're like, you achieved 40% of braking power. (laughs) And these guys are driving 52 laps. Jeez, man. At like. I think it's about a two-hour race of nonstop yeah, racing. Sure. You get maybe one or two pit stops. Wasn't there the thing like at NASCAR and F1 guys will sweat like 10 pounds or exactly. 15 pounds a race or something? They like weigh that. them yeah. right after the race. Yeah. So so they pull four to six Gs while four they're cornering. Six Gs. While they're cornering. What about braking? Braking, five Gs. Like wild. Five Gs is insane, bro. <laughs> one of the well, next five questions. five times your body weight. One of the next questions, One yeah. of the next questions is... Uh, do F1 racers wear diapers? <laughs> and it says yeah. yes. <laughs> Interesting, so they don't have to stop. Uh, yeah, I think that they do have pee. something for like peeing or something like, like that. Catheter. <laughs> that would be catheter? painful, yeah. <laughs> catheter was <laughs> going like heart. fucking 380 kilometers an hour. That would not Man. be good. Wow. But like, um, yeah, like hitting turns at such yeah. speeds. And like yeah. these guys are like, what I was saying, mm-hmm. 52 laps. Mm-hmm. And each lap will have like, 30 to like 34 25 to 34 like turns in it mm-hmm. that where they're like hitting the 100 yeah. percent braking yeah. power 
And it's just insane. Well, it's like, like going back to the Zen. Is like those guys are for two hours. Exactly. Their mind cannot wander. Otherwise, yeah. it's like I think Joe Rogan says like um, high stakes problem solving yeah. with dire consequences. Exactly. Right. That's yeah, what I was getting to. Die. Yeah. Was like saying the Zen yeah, that yeah. they mm-hmm. must feel going at yep. such speed. Totally. Like it. Well, that ties perfectly into the whole thing with Minamoto Musashi. Why samurai were Zen practitioners? Exactly, because yeah. you're in a sword fight to the death. Yeah, just like an F1 racer you taking a can't corner at 220 kilometers. Well, even exactly. if you even if you think about a sport like a completely different sport, like poker, for example, you're sitting at that table. You have so much fucking money invested on that table. Yeah, you're you're not thinking about other here. things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you're in a hand. It's, it's high mm-hmm. consequence. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But like. So that, yeah, that totally, that perfectly ties into what we're talking about. Is yeah. Like why it was adopted by a whole yeah. martial class. Mm-hmm. And it just, I think, kind of in our earlier conversation, why it can be so beneficial for the average person. But I was going to say, too, it's interesting with martial arts and the racing and everything. And then the fact that Sunyata has a definite, one of the translation is voidness. Mm-hmm. Because Minamoto Musashi, when he wrote this book, Book of Five Rings, four of the books the chapters before the books are basically like do this if you want to learn how to train yourself do this to learn martial arts learn all the different martial arts he says a lot in the in the book um it's like the book of water the book of fire the book of wind it's like that kind of stuff the last book is his most philosophical and it's almost the most famous of this book of five rings and it's the book of the void yeah and it's interesting to tie that together with the sunyatas because that's what he was invoking and, um, is that void, is and you void. would feel yeah, that void exactly. in those two hours of racing, hundred mm-hmm. percent, because like it becomes 100%. instinctual, yep. right? Like yep. you're there, yeah, you're does. doing everything, yep. but it's like so like natural. Mm-hmm. So you're in this void of focusing on this yep. one thing, exactly. yeah. And it's a, it's a really cool yeah. feeling. Well, it, it's the same with like the soccer you played because you played like semi-pro soccer, right? I. You, should we call it that? What should we call it? <laughs> I would. I don't know. Maybe too young for that. Oh, okay. It depends. Like, yeah. I really don't know what it would be. Yeah, interesting. Because I mean, yes, it was official Croatian leagues. Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't know. I don't know when semi-pro can be counting. How old do you have to be mm-hmm. for it to actually be? Semi-pro? In those in those time frames, though, same thing with my more. M- like when I when I competed in like judo or grappling or whatever, the yeah. most the one time I felt like I was truly utterly in the void, as this Minamoto Musashi says, yeah, was my MMA fight, because I literally, I think on one end I felt like I was truly in that complete utter Zen state, on the other end I think I was just also getting brain trauma from being punched for seven <laughs> minutes straight. Yeah. But I don't remember, like, I was acting without thinking, and I was yeah. moving, and I was literally, like, as Minamoto Musashi says in the last book, you you enter the void, right? Yeah. And uh, probably the same thing, too, with you and soccer and big games or, or in every game, yeah. right? It's like, you kind of, you've trained it so much that it becomes instinctual, and you're just, you're acting and not thinking, right? Exactly. It is that's, really neat. That's, yeah. okay, so the way that you're saying that, like, that's interesting, because the concept of, like, instincts then mm-hmm. those are not conscious then are they yeah instincts yeah i would say instincts you can't can't say it no but that's the thing with like competing is you still are you're still conscious you're of still what's conscious, happening yeah, and you're, guess, you're making yeah, decisions but... yeah i think it's more tied in with like this idea of void voidness yeah is like for me and especially through musashi is it's like 
a trained response yeah. through mindful practice. Yeah. So your so instincts are sort of a form of Zen then? Yeah, I would say. I would say you... you Acting instinctually the, yeah. is a form of Zen? Yeah. That's but through cool. through like through mindful something. training. Yeah. 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 Like yeah, yeah. A, a practice. And to get to that one moment, yeah. yes. Because like, sure, you can try to achieve that feeling at practice, yeah. but you most likely no. won't. Mm-hmm. That's where I like the difference of like voidness and then there's like emptiness. Yeah. So that's why I find it so interesting that the term sunyata has emptiness is its main translation, what I've always seen. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that it also is tasked with this other translation of void. Yeah. And then Munamoto Musashi talks about like being in the void. Yeah. It's an interesting correlation there and, and there's an interesting like there's something there to look into. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I, I find that fascinating. He actually has these cool now that I'm on the topic he has this cool set of rules okay. that I think are always kind of neat. I wouldn't say they're really like, you know. Kind of like the Bible? No, they're like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like <laughs> 10, you know, it's like 10 uh, commandments almost. Is it uh, written on Ripple Rock? But I've quoted some to you. So it's it's actually the 21 principles in his in his book, The Book of Everything. But it's are like we going to read all 21? The list, no. Okay, good. The list is called Dakoto. And the one I've said to you is, which I like, which I think ties in with meditation, is think lightly of yourself and deeply of the world. Yeah. I've always liked that one. And uh, accept everything just the way it is. That 100% is a meditative, like, mm-hmm. mindfulness principle, yeah. right? Um, and then the one I like is, let's see here, respect Buddha and the gods without counting on their help. So again, that's kind of invoking like a metaphysical religious aspect, but I like the idea of you can, for a modern person, I take that as there's the religious people in the world. There's, they're going to practice their thing. I'm going to practice my thing. Yeah. And I can understand, I don't need to be hateful of them. They're going to do that. I'm going to do my thing Mm -hmm. and I don't need to. I don't need to count on the help of their like metaphysical god, right? Yeah. yeah so that yeah. one's kind of neat, especially from like a 16th century samurai, 17th. That's crazy, yeah, man. Yeah. 16th century. They didn't have fucking Sam Harris in their ears. Yeah, exactly. And number 21, though, which I like. And on a lot of my Instagram thing, I always put this is the way. Yeah. So a lot of our listeners might think, oh, that's the Mandalorian. <laughs> but this is the way is very much a. Uh, like a martial arts thing. Mm-hmm. And so the number 21 of Minamoto Musashi's 21 rules is never stray from the way. Whoa. Huh. And that's like, I always see that as like the meditative practice, the practice. And Sam Harris talks about that. It's a practice. Sometimes you're going to have good sessions. Sometimes you're going to have bad sessions. Yeah. But you have to stay on the path or the way. Actually, dojo, the term dojo, what everyone knows, like, yeah, bro, I'm going to my karate dojo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The word itself, the Japanese word, so Joe is a place. Mm-hmm. Joe, I'm Joe Pesci. Like, yeah. Our Japanese fans are gonna be laughing at me right now. <laughs> so the word Joe is a place, and Do is the way. So literally, oh. a dojo is a place of the way. Wow, that's dope. damn, bro. So I've I've talked to someone who's lived in Japan and studies. Um, I worked with him in, in my past job, and he lived in Japan and studied martial arts. Yeah, and he was like, "Oh, a dojo can be anywhere." And I was like, well, what do you mean? I, I'm mm. like, it has to be where you practice martial arts. He's like, no, no, no. And he could write, like, the kanji. Yeah. yeah. So he wrote it, and he showed me the different meanings of the actual, like, brush strokes and stuff. What? Did you paint the fence? 
the wax on wax off <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was this like small japanese guy and uh um did he have so, a lot of like little creeks in his yard <laughs> he was big on creeks and bonsai trees nice um and he showed me this and he was like if you're a meditative practitioner you're just even trying to better yourself and you take on these like we started the podcast talking about like transcendent ideals and like Mm -hmm. trying to better yourself a dojo can be anywhere where you're walking on the path of the way because a dojo is a place of the way so your house when you're meditating yeah can be a dojo literally it's a place of the way and the way is how you're going to better your life walking on the path Hmm. so yeah it's all in there that's fucking trippy yeah anyways Want to end it on that note? Yeah, I feel like that's a perfect. <laughs> well, I think so too. Yeah. Well, thank you all for listening in your dojos. Nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nailed it. I hope you're finding that's the way awesome. to our podcast. Oh, he's just. <laughs> I'm just on tying fire it all in, man. He's just slam dunking it. You guys can find us on pretty I much any him, platform. I threw Philip the alley oop, and he fucking dunked, smacked it. <laughs> He's, you guys can't see, but he's flexing right now. I am so flexing. He's mad right flexing. Uh, you guys can find us pretty much on any platform. Yep. Um, reach out to us on our Instagram at the Conscious Ape Podcast. Yeah. The dot conscious dot ape dot podcast. Make sure you spell conscious right. Instagram. It's yeah, very not, hard. Use your con- uh, autocorrect. It'll help. Uh, <laughs> conscientious. Yeah. The conscientious. <laughs> it's like wow that. That ape is very conscientious. He's very paying attention to what he's doing. Um, But yeah. He's um, a gentleman ape. Thank you guys for listening Listening, again. Shout out to all uh, the listeners. Shout out to all the listeners, yeah. Um, Talk to you guys soon again. Yeah. See ya.